Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to sports performance consultant, Fergus Connolly. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So I was super, super excited to get Fergus Connolly back on for a part two. So lots happened since uh, since part one. Fergus has released the book, um, which we discuss lots about in this episode. So I'll tell you what we plan to chat about, and then I'll tell you what actually happened. So we plan to chat about teamwork and culture, uh, hiring and firing, uh, humility and people, innovation, resilience, and building a business. However, what we did discuss was more interesting than all that, which was great. So we discussed, obviously discussed the book and moved on to areas uh, like building um, trust in young players for when they make the transition up to a first team environment. Also building relationships and networking, which is something that I'm very passionate about. So it was great to get Fergus's input on that side of things. And also what it's been like for Fergus transitioning out of the professional and collegiate environment into more of a consultancy role, building the business around the book, around everything else that he's got going on. So that was something that really interested me and hopefully will interest you as well, which I have no doubt it will. Fergus is a great guy, was happy to lay it all on the line and, um, and we had a really good chat, which I'm sure you'll enjoy. Um, is it best that you have a, a methodical coach, someone with a you know a deep understanding of playing philosophy or a people person, a people coach? And I'm thinking this is a trick question because I better get this one right. But I, I said, I said, I said, in my opinion, always a people person because if you can manage the person and, and help the person understand how to play, they'll fit into and adapt uh, and evolve and develop to whatever methodology you want to implement, and they will correct a bad one. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Eccentric. So Eccentric are a Sweden-based company and is a developer of the groundbreaking flywheel training tools, the K-Box and the K-Pulley. And since its founding in 2011, Eccentric products have gone on to be used in Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, NFL, NBA, a number of uh, other leagues around the world, including the EPL, where Leicester City, Chelsea and Arsenal are among the customers. So just to give you a brief bit of background on flywheel training with the K-Box and the K-Poly. So backed up by multiple academic research studies, it's been shown to increase strength training effectiveness by not relying on gravity, but the inertia of the flywheel. So that improves the efficiency of training programs while lowering the total cost as compared to traditional training methods. So if you'd like to know more about Eccentric's products, the K-Box and the K-Pulley, head over to their website, which is eccentric.com, and that's spelled E-X-X-E-N-T-R-I-C.com, or follow them on Twitter or on Instagram at go underscore eccentric. This episode of the Pace Performance Podcast is also sponsored by iMeasureU, who are a world-leading inertial sensor and software platform which is able to quantify body movement and workload metrics in the field. So iMeasureU is used by leading biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb 
inertial data in the field. So iMeasureU recently released IMU Step, which is a dual sensor and app solution for lower limb load monitoring and has been used successfully by practitioners to optimize return to play for running base sports predominantly. So unlike GPS, IMU Step focuses on lower limb musculoskeletal load and works via two really small synchronized high frequency tibial worn sensors. And these sensors can quantify three dimensional force of every step an athlete takes, precise left and right limb load asymmetry and cumulative bone load. So iMeasureU was founded by leading biomechanist Dr. Tor Bazir and was acquired by Vicon last year in 2017. So iMeasureU works with military, Olympic, pro and collegiate coaches and counts the Australian Institute of Sport, uh, Philadelphia 76ers and Harvard University as some of their clients. So if you'd like to get to know a little bit more about iMeasureU, head over to the website which is iMeasureU.com or follow them on Twitter at iMeasureU. Without further ado, over to the episode with Fergus Connolly. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So this evening, I'm delighted to get another part two. don't know how long ago it actually was, but um, a part two with Fergus Connolly. So welcome to the podcast, Fergus. Rob, thanks for having me again. Absolute pleasure. I don't actually know when it was. Um, i trying to remember myself. Probably over a year ago. Yeah, yeah. probably over a year ago now. But glad to get you on for a part two. Lots happened in the last, well, since ever last the last time I spoke to you was. But before we get into that, do you just want to give us a bit of a, uh, a guide through your journey so far and how you've ended up doing what you're currently doing as a consultant, performance consultant? Yeah, well, um, uh, so the, I, the last time we spoke, I think it was about Game Changer. Um, it was around the time Game Changer came out and, uh, and I followed that up with um, 59 Lessons, which have just just released and that uh, as I was writing Game Changer there were a lot of like stories and lessons that I had learned you know working in soccer and rugby in American football college football that you know I, I wanted to add in but they just didn't fit so I wanted to to share you know the the lessons the journey that that I was on and that I've been on still on we're always still on a learning lesson or learning journey and um i just wanted to explain i guess where a lot of those came and and as i started to write it i realized you know i i wanted to say thank you to a lot of coaches who've helped me um and also share the lessons with the next generation uh coming through um you know so that they you know the this next generation i guess or the, even the current generation of students sports scientists strength coaches coming through have um uh you know there's so much information out there a lot more than when when i was coming through uh and it can get quite confusing so i wanted to share you know my first-hand experience uh lessons good and bad so that people can can learn from them and maybe it will help you know the the next generation of uh, sports scientists strength you know strength coaches etc you know mm-hmm. it was interesting that you you bring that up because brett bartholomew had put something out today on on twitter about dealing with the amount of information that's out there and the kind of tipping point of where people go i've um uh, this is just too much how do you as how do you personally and how would you advise your staff or young coaches to actually cut through that 
barrage of information that's hitting us all the time to actually get what is needed. Well, that's why I wrote it was because, my, you know, when I was starting out, um, and I tell this story quite a bit, you know, I would, uh, even when I was at university, uh, I would buy three Sunday newspapers and um, I would look at, you know, I'd, you know, the feature articles, big long feature articles were there and um, I would, um, you know, read the interviews with, the, with you know, whoever the, the famous or big sports stars were and try and find, you know, what kind of training they were doing. And then different names kept popping up about their coaches or their trainers. And I would write the names down and I would try and see what I could learn and find out about them. And that was just, the internet was really just starting to take off. Man, I sound old now, but, um, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you would, I think it was Netscape or Yahoo at the time, but you would try and find out everything. Yeah, you, nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, that's what you would try and find out. And then, um, you know, it was, I guess, more reflection of me as a person, but it was just, uh, send an email, um, you know, write a letter, call someone, get a phone number and just, could I come and, you know, observe practice and, and, and learn from you? And, you know, nobody ever said no. And that's what I did. Just got up off my backside and went and visited coaches to learn firsthand because I, I didn't study sports science. I didn't think that, you know, I didn't really think that you could make a career in sport or anything like that. So I thought, look, uh, this is a hobby, but if you're going to do it, why not do it right and go and learn from the best? And then I would come back and uh, while I was at university, I would go and find journals and, uh, you know, physiology books to study whatever aspect of, you know, whether it was, again, physiology, anatomy, biochemistry, whatever it might be. And that it was clearly my passion. And... Um, and on one of the journeys, you know, I visited Bolton Wanders. And then shortly after I left, you know, the whole coaching staff changed. Big Sam uh, went to Newcastle. And I got a call shortly afterwards. And they said, look, Big Sam's left. We've got all this technology and sports science. And, you know, you, you seem to know how it works. Um, we don't have anybody else. Would you be interested? <laughs> and honestly, that was the way it worked. And it's funny because, you know, Big Sam will... Email so what year was this, Fergus? If you don't mind asking. You know, I can't. Rem I can't. What was, year was this? I can't even remember. It was when Big Sam left. Um, yeah. Left Bolton, so it was the end of an era. And Sam, you know, he he'll email email from time to time, and and I've said this repeatedly. I think that he has had a the only person who's had a bigger influence on the Premier League in terms of coaches and how it's coached and how it's prepared is probably Sir Alex, just in terms of you know people and coaches that Sir Alex has helped. In the, in the Premier League, but Big Sam probably has, there are more people who have worked for, for Big Sam probably still in the Premier League than, or Premier League, it goes to show you how long I've been in the States, but uh, than, <laughs> than any other coach because, you know, he was, he was a pioneer in terms of analysis, sports science, uh, psychology, culture, you know, he wanted to to get um, to get better, and and the irony was, I was at university in Limerick. That was his very first coaching job was uh, in Limerick in Ireland. A lot of people don't know that, but that's where he started. Was it? Yeah, he uh, he started with I think it was Limerick FC, and uh, that's where he he uh, cut his his teeth as a as a head coach. So what what 
why do you say that? I know you mentioned analysis, sports science. Psych- I know psychology was obviously a big thing for him and probably still is. What What did he do differently? Or why was he so innovative at the time? And what have you kind of taken from that as you've moved through your career? I think people who people who don't know him or haven't been around him, um, you know, have an image perhaps of, of him, uh, you know, of how his teams played perhaps or him on the sideline. But anybody who's worked for him or been there or met him or spent time with him realized that he's very, very pragmatic. He's incredibly charismatic, you know, um, a wonderful leader. Um, but he's a very, very intelligent coach. You know, he will look for every single edge. And he's, when I say pragmatic, uh, you know, I love being around those pragmatic coaches who will look at everything and at the end of the day they'll ask you okay how is that going to help us get a result at the weekend so he looked he knew that at Bolton um, if they could play if Bolton could play you know 10 out of 10 at their maximum and Manchester United turned up and you know didn't or played at 8 out of 10 they had a you know good chance of beating them he wasn't unrealistic um, but it he knew that that Bolton had to play at their best to win, and um, he was incredibly successful with limited resources. So he knew that you know he couldn't spend outspend Man United in terms of salary or buying players. So he decided, okay, let's play the game on our terms. Let's invest what we can in performance analysis and video and pro zone. Like I mean, the number of coaches who are at different uh, you know Premier League teams who started at Bolton uh, with ProZone, you know, um, through Bolton, you know, is, is incredible. And a few years ago, it was even even more, um, you know, he, he looked at psychology. He understood the value of all of these things. Um, and he was just looking for every possible edge, but he did it in a pragmatic, intelligent way. It's not like perhaps, um, you know, some coaches, you know, maybe um, get caught up in the, the hype about technology or sports science. He was very pragmatic in, in how he looked at it. He knew it, it had value, but he also knew where, it, where its limitations were. And I, that's uh, something that I think a lot of coaches could learn from, from him. But very charismatic so what, as well. His, his charisma, I think, is something that should never be underestimated. Um, it's very rare in coaches. Uh-huh. So what kind of players were there when you were there? UC it y- wasn't the area of like, go on. You used to ask you had, you know, Gary Speed, um, you know, and Elko was there. Like, I mean, um, the, like it was a really, really talented, Elad Juf was there. Like, I mean, these guys, I'll never forget Elad Juf leaving. <laughs> he was leaving. Man, he, like, I mean, the last time, right. last time I saw him, he, 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 he was dressed like he was dressed like a Laker getting into a Humvee and he stopped and saw <laughs> me. He was get, I forget the color of the, the – it was a luminous kind of color uh, Humvee. And, you know, he came and gave me a big hug when I was leaving Bolton. And, um, it, like, you know, just different. And, and when – Look at, at every team, you've got personalities, but like imagine like the kind of personalities that that you had at that time, and um, Joey O'Brien from Ireland who was there as well. So it was it was a really really talented, diverse 
uh, group of players. It was like a scene from um, well, the, the Dirty Dozen, you know, the old movie, like he had. <laughs> but they could they could get a job done for him. Well, this was my next question. I was hoping you were going to say that, and it was that kind of era that I was <clears throat> that I was thinking of. So you've got Anelka, who had been around the houses and ended up at Bolton, and people couldn't understand why I was at Bolton. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Juve. I had I was with well, Juve was at Doncaster when I was there. Mm-hmm. Latterly yep. in his career, um, we'll definitely we'll we'll speak after this about that that uh, experience. Um, but you've got you've got. Huge, per- like you say, huge personalities, huge names who have been there, done it, won everything, and he's he seems to be one that these kind of players either gravitate towards, or and he and he's able to deal with them and almost get them back on track and then move them on. What what is it about him that you think allows that to and allows that to happen, and and why these big players gravitate towards him? Um, and and just before I answer that, then he had Kevin Nolan. Like you mean, like like Jeez. like you know, like, I mean Kevin's like I mean a lovely guy, but he could argue his point. Like you I mean Kevin was like Nobby. He if he felt something strongly, like I mean he had no problem saying it. And that was what was really interesting about Big Sam as well is that he had a beautiful balance of uh, authority and management. And yet he, these players felt comfortable enough to raise, you know, opinions with him and, you know, to argue with him and, and that he, um, he was very good. I, the big thing with him, I think, was that he was transparent and honest. Um, like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I mean, he, he wasn't Mother Teresa. He was going to run things as he, as he wanted to run them, but he, he didn't. He definitely did not shy away from making tough decisions, um, but he would, you know, he would, um, he could lead as a, as a leader. You know, he was, um, he was definitely, um, you know. I'm, I met him years later when he was at West Ham as well, and uh, you know, he was just very, very um, pragmatic. Great memory as well, and um, you know, he knew he, he was. I keep going on about pragmatism, but he clearly knew, like he went to West Ham, he knew what he had to do. He knew what he had to get in place. He knew what his priorities were. Um, and he was very, um, I mean Machiavellian in the best possible way in that he knew what the, the goal was and um, the, the end was. And so he could uh, prioritize and optimize his means to get there. Um, but he was, you know, uh, from that perspective, brilliant at organizing and leading. And it that's something that you see in coaches as well. You can have very good managers, you can have very good coaches, but you also need to be a leader, um, which, you know, not every coach is, you know, and a, a true leader can uh, direct a team in or get everybody moving in the right direction powerfully and with confidence. Um, but you can't. You must be transparent and and honest to you know to in order for for that to last. Because mm-hmm. he was more of a manager rather than a coach. He was the the manager that would be behind the scenes on the phone, and he'd turn up on a Thursday Friday and prep the game for the Saturday. Is that right? Yes, but no, I wasn't running. I wasn't running along. But he, 
he was very good man manager and very good at uh, you know um, at managing uh, very much like Sir Alex. Like I mean, everybody is a coach early on. Everybody's very much a hands on coach, but he was definitely a, Cross, yeah. a you know a, a leader. Um, and it was interesting. You know, I spoke in Amsterdam recently, and um, there were a group of coaches there from you know from PSV from. Uh, Alkmaar and different and then just before I started to talk this guy comes comes strolling in late sits at the back and um, I was just about to start and I looked up and I go no that's not and yes it was um, Ruud van Nistelrooy so um, oh you put this in your newsletter yeah, I read this yeah, keep going the latest story yeah so anyway <laughs> there, it's quite a long masterclass because it goes on for a few hours and different things. But anyway, we take the first break and I'm going, okay, well, look, at it's Ruud van Nistelrooy. He's not, you know, he's, um, he's definitely not going to hang around for all of this because what's he going to learn from, from me? But sure enough, he stayed for, I forget how many hours we went, for maybe five hours or so, and he stayed for the whole thing. But he asked me a question during it, and it's kind of, you know, it's, it's a bit like, you know, it's a bit like a Larry Bird or somebody asking you a basketball question. Um, so he, he asked, he put his hand up and he said, do you think that, um, is it best that you have a, you know, a, a, a methodical coach, someone with a, you know, a deep understanding of their playing philosophy or a people person, a people coach? And I'm thinking this is a trick question because I better get this one right. <laughs> but I, I said, I said, I said, in my opinion, always a people person because if you can manage the person and, and help the person understand how to play, they'll fit into and adapt uh, and evolve and develop to whatever methodology you want to implement, and they will correct a bad one. And he said, he said, I agree with you. And um, I said, what do you think? And he said, I agree with you fully. He said, that's why. He said, I like Game Changer um, because you talk about both sides, about the, the methodology and managing the person. Um, and he, and then somebody else asked him a question, you know, to elaborate on it. And he mentioned Bobby Robson and he mentioned how he had uh, played for both, um, you know, Bobby Robson and Sir, Sir Alex. And I'd forgotten that he had played for, for, for Sir Bobby. And, um, you know, he spoke about how, you know, those two coaches where he felt, you know, two of the, the coaches who got the most from him, not to say others didn't, but he was just talking about their value as managing people. And this, you know, I've said it time and time again, this is a people, uh, a people business. It's not PlayStation. And I think that's one of the challenges in modern sport, particularly in the US, less so in Europe, but it, it possibly is going, it's, this is not PlayStation, you know. Winning team sports is not... So Ruud van Nist- so Nistelrooy bought Game Changer. How good that, is that? Yeah. How that, good is that? That, 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 that blew me away a little bit, to be honest. But that was the... That was the <laughs> but, you know, that's that's the other the other side of it was... You know, I somebody had told me that, that he had and that he really enjoyed it, and I'm going, yeah, whatever. You know, you're just telling me that just to be nice to me. But, but what... Um, but I was also blown away by him as... Just in terms of his willingness to, you know, to to learn and to to continue to improve as a person, um, you know, and as a coach. And it was interesting. I, you know, I, I mentioned as you know in in my newsletter about, you know, the Sir Alex Ferguson story about, 
you know, how he failed the medical, he, he went back. And I think it was in the week after, it was only a few days afterwards, he was warming up. And I think they have film, actually. I think what happened was he had come to... The dude screaming. Yeah, because what had happened was, and I, I could be wrong, but I, I think the um, the what had happened initially were that... Um, he had come to Manchester United. There was a lot of hype about it. He was he did the medical, but failed it. Went back, and I think the camera crews were there filming him, you know, uh, live back at his first PSV uh, practice or training session after the failed medical, so they could talk about it and discuss it live. And I think they captured, you know, his ACL going live on on film or on perhaps not live, but they captured it in film. So, but. He, because I had heard this story about Sir Alex saying, calling him, uh, or promising that he would take him afterwards and not to worry. And so during one of the breaks, I asked Van Nistelrooy, um, you know, about this, and he said, no. He said that was true. He said Sir Alex called him and uh, told him not to worry. He said they would come back for him, for him, do your rehab, return to full fitness again. And he said, if you if you get back, he said we'll we'll come back for you, and he did. Um, Sir Alex kept his word, came back, and um, and I told the story about playing Manchester United when we were at Bolton, and I think losing three one or three zero at the time, and then this made a point of letting me know that he had scored <laughs> in that game. Just, <laughs> just hey, that's that's a striker's mentality. There they are, just like goalkeepers, a slightly different uh, breed, but uh, lovely, yeah. lovely guy. Chances are that he was going to be at that era. He was going to have the one that scored. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think you know people who would watch him play. And he told me as well about, and this is a piece of advice for any young player because I, I said to him, I said, why would Sir Alex, you know, why would he say that to you? Because that's a gamble. Like first of all, people don't do that. People just don't keep their word. It's sadly, it's far rarer now than than uh than it was years ago i said why would why would he even say that to you because that's you know going back in his word or whatever and uh you know first of all the the fact that it's quite an honorable thing to do and he said he said it's not wasn't as big a risk maybe as you think fergus because he came visited me uh met with me he came to my apartment we met in my apartment and he he said that you know sir alex came met me spoke to me he knew the kind of person I was. He saw my apartment. He saw that, you know, I took care of myself. He knew the kind of person I was. So he said, Alex Ferguson wasn't taking as big a risk as you might think. Not for Alex Ferguson. And that was, that's a really important lesson, I think, for young kids and young players um, all over the world is that, uh, and maybe for coaches as well, to look beyond just the film, you know, see what kind of a person that you're, you're trying to recruit, draft or buy. Just going to take a very quick break before we get into part two. Hope you enjoyed part one. So we start off in part two discussing uh, the visits that Fergus went on. Because Fergus didn't go through the traditional route of sports science degree, MSc, PhD, all in the all in sports science, all in training and conditioning. He actually got that knowledge through, uh, or started to gain that knowledge through visits to different clubs, uh, saved up his cash and uh, spent a whole bunch of time traveling. So we discussed that as a means of, of CPD and how CPD is changing um, from the traditional, obviously, the um, 
the university route into other forms of, uh, of learning. So that's a really interesting chat, um, which comes straight away in, the, uh, in, in part two. But just before we do get into part two, I want to say a big thanks to Black Box Fitness for sponsoring this episode today. So Black Box Fitness are a specialist gym manufacturer based in Belfast in Northern Ireland. So they work from high school level to collegiate to professional clubs um, over in the UK, in Europe, uh, have done projects in Australia, America. So if you are looking for any additions to your uh, what you've currently got in your gym, whether that be barbells, plates, racks, um, or you're looking for a full gym fit out, so complete refurb, um, including flooring, etc. Make sure you consider the guys at Black Box. So have a little look on their Instagram, have a little look on the Twitter, uh, and they put quite a lot of their uh, projects on there. And if you are interested, um, hit them up, give them a uh, contact them, and maybe visit one of their projects and see the quality of their work. So they can be found on their website at blkboxfitness.com and on Twitter and Instagram at blkboxfitness. Also, big thanks to Hawking Dynamics for also sponsoring this episode today. So Hawking Dynamics offer the world's first wireless force plate testing system. So the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So you're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. So as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates in action, Head over to the website, uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can, I mean, you can also schedule a demo, and follow them on Twitter at hawkingdynamics. It's interesting because when I was a when I was a U team player, we used to have some guy come in and do like an NVQ or something B tech, absolutely pointless, and used to tell us what to write. But one thing that pretty one thing that I'm actually most proud of is my handwriting. And all the lads used to take the piss out of me for having girls' handwriting. It's not girls' handwriting. It's just neat. Yes, yeah. And the, uh, and the coach, who was an old-school guy who'd sent a half, played at Barnsley, proper man's man, had come and given him a bollocking. Yes. And said, um, you, should be, you should be looking at this because a tidy person's a tidy player. And I've always remembered that. And he was obviously – he was very much a, an observer of – like you say, not only the the film and the video or or watching it on the pitch, it was every it was all the little stuff, and it was at a time an era when era bloody hell I feel old now, <laughs> but it was what fifteen years ago. And we were cleaning toilets, we were cleaning toilets, we were cleaning showers, we were cleaning boots, and that was all checked every single day, and it was pointed out who wasn't doing the jobs, and it was all part. I mean, you you look back now and think that's so old school, and you know maybe that that time's gone and everything, but. He really observed who was doing what, who was keeping things tidy, who was doing things right, who was staying till the end, and all these little things that make up the character of the the sixteen year old player that can potentially go out and you know stick get get put in the first team squad and and hold their own. So yeah, very interesting. Well, player. I I think I think there there are a few things there. I think people so hazing or 
uh, I don't know what the is hazing still is hazing used in the UK as a term. What's, what's the equivalent what's hazing? Hazing. What's the equivalent of you know when you when you've got young kids who come and join the academy and they're uh, like uh, kind of bullied or um, those are thrown in the shower and stuff like that. Um, oh yes, um, like initiation and things like that. Yeah, so. Like I mean, that happens yeah, everywhere, yeah. but it gets out of hand, and it's it's bullying. But on you know, if you look at it on a scale, um, those kind of tasks, like the boot room, like those are really important tasks for kids to help them understand where they are, just in terms of the the ladder and the trajectory, and and um, serving their time because it truly was a, an apprenticeship, and I think those tasks are really really important to be able to um help kids understand look at this is where we're starting from because what what tends to happen is at you know let's say here in the u.s you're a really good high school player at a small school so you're a superstar in that area then you you go to university and you're starting at the bottom again but you you find it hard to adjust maybe then you go to from that college program, then you go to an NFL team, you're starting at the bottom again. It's important to help kids, you know, adjust to starting their apprenticeship at each stage. So, you know, when you come to the academy and you, you have to clean boots and you, you have to do those tasks, it's re- I think it's really helpful for kids to understand, okay, this is where I am and I, I've got to work hard and i got to do these basic tasks really, really well. And it's going to be the same on the football field. On the practice field, I gotta do the basics really, really well. I think it's under it's underestimated. Now hazing is when it's just bullying and torture; it gets out of out of hand. But there's a lot of value in that. And I, in Fifty Nine Lessons, I read about Tony Smith, who was the head coach at Warrington for years, um, Warrington Wolves rugby league. And when his young apprentices would come to the team for the first two weeks, they went out working on building sites, laboring in furniture factories and with mechanics and they just have to go and do it as they would a normal apprenticeship and the the role or the function of that was twofold one you're fortunate to get the opportunity to play rugby league so if you don't this is what you're going to be doing but each employer had to send a report in on tardiness on detail you know on dress on how hard they worked and it was again could they take instruction and could they, you know, learn and do the basics really, really well? And this had nothing to do with rugby. Um, so these are important stages, I think, in helping young athletes develop. And um, they're, they're important lessons, I think, uh, for success. Well, I remember a little uh, conversation that was had between a youth team player and a first team player when it came to the boots. Mm-hmm. And this lad was was making he was he was going to the first team and training with him a couple of times and he'd come back to the youth team and he'd go again. And he was cleaning one of the the, the first team guy boots and they were inspected like every, every every day they were inspected. His his pants had to be on the um on the radiator mm-hmm. in the winter. So they were warm <laughs> for when he put them on before he went out. Seriously, it, it got out of hand, yeah. but it was, you know, it, that's that's how it was. Um and he said if I can't trust you with my, my pants and my boots, I'm not passing it. Why am I going to trust you with the ball? Yeah. Like, my livelihood is at stake when I give you the ball. Whether we win or lose, 
is a bonus for me, which means my kids can get the Christmas that they deserve. If I give you the ball and I can't trust you with it, well, I'm not going to give you the ball anymore because that's my kids' Christmas on the line. Yeah. So it was all based around, obviously, coming back to what was happening on the pitch. But it was fascinating when you look back of the kind of conversations you had with the, the pros and when you were 16, 17. Yeah, and it's establishing um, the basics first. You know, let's get the basics right first. And then, you know, then you can progress to starting to think on your own and being innovative. But it's, let's, can we get the basics done really, really well? It has to start there. Does that, just translating that back to sports science, strength and conditioning, are we in a similar situation where, and going right back, back to the start where we, start, where, we, where, we, where we started the episode, was the inf- amount of information that people are consuming or is available to consume, that people are trying to, I hate this word, but hack and fast track their way through because of all this information and because there's, it's so out there what people are doing and trying to be exciting, trying to look for their you know personal branding or whatever it may be to be doing something different, that people are following that too quickly and not actually getting the basics done and basics done well? I think you can, you can make that argument. I think, personally, I think there are two other bigger issues that, that nobody really talks about. One is that uh, this is a you know, coaching, dealing with people like nursing, like teaching is a vocation. It's not a profession per se, not like, you know, accountancy or, you know, actuary or something else. We're dealing with people and it's um, important that the person be developed uh, or the coach, the sports scientist be developed on a, on a pathway. And if I had a choice, you would develop it as an apprenticeship and, where you know you have take perhaps a slightly longer pathway, but there is a constant development of the person, the interpersonal skills, management, leadership, conflict resolution, those skills, along with the technical at the same time, as opposed to just okay, let's um, it's it's like uh, it's like traditional periodization for sports scientists. Let's just for four four years or whatever number of years, you're just going to go to university and just study theory. And then we're going to maybe for a little bit here and there, we'll throw in a little bit of practical. And then when you come out, then you can learn the people skills rather than having concurrent uh, or a conjugate system where you're learning both at the same time. So that's the way that I think the best coaches have developed um, in a, an apprenticeship model, model. One other point about that is that we now have the first generation of sports scientists, coaches who have not done anything else except be a sports scientist from the left high school. So they've no experience of dealing with people. Um, you know, I used to get resumes um, from, you know, from people who want to come an intern or whatever. And, you know, at the bottom you know, somebody would have written down maybe, you know, worked at such and such a restaurant or worked in this gym or whatever. And sometimes, you know, some strength coaches or whatever would make a smart comment about, you know, how this had no relevance. But to me, actually, people who worked in the service industry, whether it was waiting tables or whatever they were doing, actually, to me, that was very valuable for two reasons. One, they had been outside in the real world so they they were more familiar with dealing with people and secondly if you work in the service industry your job is to keep the customer happy 
And in a lot of cases, though, the skills learned there in taking complaints and managing, you know, in uh, dealing with people, those skills are incredibly valuable today. The second point about the industry, and I think the one that is missing most is we, our job is to, you know, is to solve problems. So it's being, again, I go back to, you know, Sam Allardyce, the pragmatism, being able to come find a solution with all the available options you have available to you. So I don't know if you remember um, TV series House with Hugh Laurie. I don't. House MD. So, um, or like CSI, where you've got all yeah, of these clues, okay, and you've got to come up with a solution. It, so no, no solution is going to be the exact same. Well, it's the same with every athlete. You know, every player, if we want to make someone a little bit faster, well, we just can't use a cookie-cutter approach. So it's that innovation, um, critical thinking that is missing more and more. So I, I think that the two, the two skills or the two things that I think, you know, and again, I'm, I, I don't want to criticize the industry. I hate criticizing. I'm just saying that these are two things I think would help a lot are having that apprenticeship, which is kind of what I – you know, outlining 59 lessons and then the problem solving, uh, you know, skill set, critical thinking and innovation. So, you know, I've not come through the traditional pathway of studying kinesiology or physiology. You know, I just went on my own uh, self-made apprenticeship. Just I wrote down the list of the best coaches in the world and went to try and learn from them. Does that make me better or not? No, it's just a different pathway that I took. But I think there's a lot of value in watching, like Ashley Jones training All Blacks or or Canterbury Crusaders in a weight room. Like I learned so much from watching him. You know, Phil Richards was the the strength coach at at Bolton at the time, and watching like I mean, he would, you know, small things he would say to me um, in dealing with people. You know, those people skills, those interactions, they're invaluable. Um, you know, he small thing when we would lift weights in the evening when the players would uh, would go home you know i would go to strip the bar and he'd say no no just leave leave that and i'm going but you you never leave a weight room you never leave weights on the bar you know in the weight room and he said no 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 leave that there and i said why he said there's more weight on that bar than any of these other guys are going to to lift he said i want them to see that you can lift more this was in the squat rack you know that you that there is a lot more to be lifted in football or a lot more strength can be gained. And there are just subtle things like that. Other times when um, practice would be after a fitness session, when guys would be exhausted on the ground, and Craig White used to do this at Wales as well, you know, rather than saying anything or saying, well done, guys, he'd just you know, pull me by the shirt and say, hey, let's go say nothing and just walk off and let them, the players, um, you know, pick up the pieces themselves and say well done to each other you know small just small tips and tricks um that you learn from experienced coaches like ashley jones i remember in you know he had a his in the weight room in the gym it was just full it was with he was with canterbury crusaders but there was could have been 14 all blacks at the time in the weight room and he walked up to three of them and said um is it a cappuccino for you and a coffee and I didn't hear him at the time, or I just, sorry, I overheard him at the time, but afterwards he said, did you, did you see what I said? And I said, or did you hear what I said? And I said, yeah. He said, why did I say that? I said, I have no idea. He said, the three guys were just getting into a conversation and they weren't working hard enough. 
And he said, rather than going over <laughs> and, uh, you know, rather than going over and chewing them out or, you know, bollocking them or whatever, he said, I just made a subtle point with a joke or a smart comment and walked away. Like small things like that, that you pick up and learn from experienced strength coaches that you're not going to learn in a book or, um, you know, that are going to take you yourself years to learn through a lot of mistakes. So um, that, those apprenticeships are critical. Just on that, and I think this is one thing that certainly I felt as a, as a young coach, trying to knowing that I should be getting out, knowing that I should be visiting coaches and seeing what other people are doing and speaking and getting all these experiences that you have. But I've, I felt I know that other people do. What, but what can I offer in return? Why would someone say, yes, surely I've got to offer something in return? Did you offer anything in return for these, for these visits that you went on? You know, at the start, I had nothing to offer, really. Like, I mean, I remember emailing Ashley Jones. Like, I mean, I had nothing to offer this guy. This guy, <laughs> I hope he doesn't mind me telling this. But I, he, one time, he, he, he had his resume. Like, this is a few years later. He had his resume. And at the top, he had, you know, he just had listed, you know, he'd been with Canterbury Crusaders, the like, most dominant rugby team in the world, club team in the world, and he'd been with the All Blacks. But, you know, he had, he had just listed, you know, the teams he'd been with, and uh, he had the win loss. I worked it out quickly in my head. He had a an eighty something percent success rate across the board. Like this is a guy. Like you I mean, they're winning almost you know nine games out of every ten, and I'm just like, what have I got to offer this this guy? I think I had a passion to learn. Um, you know, I wasn't shady. I, I genuinely just had a passion to learn. And then when I would go visit, you know. Ash or whoever, if I'd been with, you know, Charlie Francis or someone, I would share anything I had with them. Like, you I mean, and we, I, if I visited Craig White with the, the Lions and I had done some work at Bolton with cryotherapy, I would share everything and anything with, with those people. So I think, you know, you learn very quickly that your only competition is the opponent. It's not the other strength coach. Like, Ashley, this was another lesson I learned from him at the start of the season. Ashley, when he was a, he would share his his training programs with everybody in in New Zealand. He would send them to all the other strength coaches, and I would go, Ashley, but is this like you know you're naive starting off because you and you say, well, why why do you you don't want to do that? Oh no no, I, I send it around to them. And I said why? He said there's two things, Fergus. Even with this program that they don't have, they don't have the players I have, or they've got different players. And secondly, they have to coach it the way that I coach it to get the same results. And he said, the training program, it's not about the training program. And this is in a, this is 15 years ago when I believed it was all about the training program. And, but he was saying, yes, it's important, but you've you got to look at the players you have, and then you've got to be able to deliver it. So that's the, the art of, you know, the art of sports science, you know, or the, the art of coaching. You know, you've, you've got to be able to deliver. So with with so many people out there with degrees, masters, knowing that it's it is about getting out and having these experiences, as I just as I just said, would you, given how you approached going to Asher Jones or any of the guys you've just mentioned, would if someone approached you like that and you were in full time employment with a institution, college, club, whatever it may be, would you let you visit? from 10 15 years ago or would, would yeah, just, now because come 
Yeah, like I mean, I just uh, I just met a coach this morning who drove uh, almost three hours to come and sit, and we we spent a few hours this morning going through stuff. Like I mean, I've I write about it at the end of Fifty Nine Lessons. I write a how I I emailed a, a guy called Mike Prebag who uh, was a chiropractor. I was thinking of going doing um, medicine at McMaster and. And this is, I think it's 11 years ago. And I still to this day remember the first line of his email, which was, and I had asked him, would he mind me asking him a few questions? And the first line of his email was, absolutely, Fergus, great people have had me on my way, so I have no problem passing it on. And I'll never forget that email. And, you know, I will always reply to an email. If somebody wants to meet, I will always make time for them. Like only on the rare occasion that I just physically can't. Um, but I know, like, I'm I'm not the only one. I know people like Tony Strudwick, um, you know, will do the same. And I think, you know, you always make time. The only time you, you, you might not is if someone's a jerk. But, you know, there are so many young people coming through. And there have been, you know, I had a text from a friend who I still stay in touch with who I advised not to go into the industry. And he still, to this day, thanks me for, you know, he had an opportunity with, quite a big rugby team at the time and he was he had a dilemma about you know should he take it or should he go in a different direction and we talked it through and you know I give him my honest opinion which was not to take it and um, it was very competitive at the time and he didn't and still to this day he thanks me so it's not always about and to be quite honest most of the the emails and you know phone calls I get now are about managing people and it's not about the technical side yes i'll get emails about you know force platforms gps heart rate variability and all that but a lot of it is on mentoring performance directors on conflict resolution communication leadership management but also then on managing their personal life you know people who have kids family how do they manage the stress what is important to worry about what is not important interesting so is that and this is one thing that I'm I'm really interested to chat about just for 10, 15 minutes towards the end is your kind of transition and where you think it's going. And and it's been interesting, obviously, reading the email about Van Nistelrooy and all that kind of thing and just seeing the emails that you've, you, you produce and obviously send out to your list and how that's developed over time with the book and obviously the new book and all that kind of stuff. Is is that kind of mentor, mentorship, um, almost business life, I hate that term life coach, but it almost is that to a certain extent. Is that the direction that you thought you would go? Is it direction that you want to go more? Is it is it transitioning to more business as well rather than just sport? Well, again, I, I've never had a plan. Um, you know, I, I started out fascinated by uh, how do I get a group of people to win, team to win. In sport, I wanted I, initially I wanted to be a better player, so I studied everything about strength, speed, power, and then okay, how do I get a group team to win? And uh, then it became you know sports science explode. Okay, well then let's study this, and then um, and then as I realized, okay, that's not the full picture. Now that I have to understand tactics and then psychology, and and it's really been about solving the most important problem at the time. I think if I've got one ability perhaps is to be maybe always one step ahead but not i don't mean as um in an arrogant way i mean it's that i'm just able to spot the problem maybe a little bit 
before anybody else. And I think that, um, you know, sports science is important, it's valuable, but it, it reaches a limit. And then, you know, it's about now integrating these things. But the next stage on um, currently really is about managing people because the, the bar has moved too far away from uh, understanding people, leadership, charisma, personality to being very analytical, um, being very objective, um, you know, too much technology, too much sports science. And that's easy. It's easy to fall into that trap because as humans, we're told that we can measure everything. We're told that things are structured. Uh, you know, sports science technology are sold as being things that, look, you know, there's like when it comes to things like GPS, force platforms, stuff like that, like you can study it and and get some value but it's not going to affect the scoreboard it alone is not it has to be integrated as part of a holistic approach and i think that that is one area that there is a lot of room for improvement in helping groups of people and teams win i think it's very very important look at if a guy like Ruud van Nistelrooy thinks it's it's critical who am i to argue absolutely absolute legend um Fergus, what is the best? Where's the best place for people to get more info on Game Changer and the new book? Well, FergusConley.com is my website, and um, you can just drop me an email or send me an email to info at FergusConley.com. And I think, um, you know, I think for people who, I think for young sports scientists, I think fifty nine lessons. I would. You know, obviously, I would say that it's a wonderful book, but I think I would like. You know, I've got. I had a, a Judy. Judy Murray um, uh, is a, You know, she's she's just bought a, a series of, of books. Andy Murray's um, mother, like I mean, and she was very complimentary about Fifty Nine Lessons, and that's the kind of effect that I was hoping for. That young coaches and young sports scientists would be able to learn from you know, from the stories. And a lot of them are mistakes I made. Like, I mean, I probably sound like an idiot. You know, I, I learned from some great people who I'm very, very fortunate to have learned from, like Gary Speed, um, like Charlie Francis, uh, Jerry Collins, those people who are no longer with us. It's my way of saying thank you. But I think for young coaches coming through, uh, you know, Game Changer is probably, you know, a really good from a technical perspective and how to integrate sports science and all of that but 59 lessons is about people it's about lessons that you need to take account of and even if even if you get nothing from the book i think it'll open your eyes to what lessons are you learning on a day-to-day basis with the players and coaches that you work with uh and i i hope that it it helps the next generation coming through you know mm-hmm. superb and come, so people can order the book through the, only the website or is it on Amazon and all that kind of places as well? It's on Amazon, yeah. Uh, Perfect. It's on Amazon, so amazon.co.uk as well. I, I didn't yeah. plan to release it until January, and then I got pestered by people in the UK, <laughs> Australia, and Ireland. Hey, can we can we get it on? So I had to bring it out a little bit earlier than I'd, than I'd hoped. Nice. And where is the best place on social media that people can contact you? Twitter. Twitter's the Twitter's the best for the best for me. I'm I'm not great with Instagram, Facebook, or anything like that. So uh, at Fergus underscore Conley, and that's double N double L. 
That's double right. N, double L, yeah. Yeah, sweet. Happy days. Well, thank you very much for coming on, mate. Really appreciate your time. And um, I'm excited to get the book. <laughs> when did when did it actually when did it actually come out? Was it end of December? Yeah, it? just the yeah the end of December. Um, and uh, yeah, like I, I'll be honest, days, I'll yeah. be honest, Rob. I've been kind of blown away a little bit just by the reaction because, like I said, I was um, and I was hoping to bring it out in January because I thought, okay, just wait until the new year. Um, but just the uh, the number of uh, emails and texts just from people because it's. Um, I guess there aren't that many books, you know, there are lots of books about sport and lots of books about, you know, famous coaches and stuff, but there aren't that many, I think, from people, you know, from their experience, um, firsthand. And there are 59 short stories with morals and, um, and just from, yeah, from sports, soccer, rugby, from all over, all different sports and from the military as well. Um, that I hope uh, can, at a minimum, make you think and challenge some of your thoughts. Absolutely. I'm excited to get it. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Really appreciate it. And um, hopefully the the book sells well, and I'm sure it will. I'm absolutely positive it will. And um, we'll stay in touch. Absolutely. Now we can grab that as well. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, now we can get off and I can hear this Al Juf story. Oh mate, it'll be a roll night. As I'm sure you you would be your stories about him. What a character! What a character! Uh, anyway, mate, you. I'll catch you soon. Thank you very much. Thanks, mate. Thanks for tuning in to episode 225 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Fergus. So thank you very much to Fergus for coming on chatting about the book being so honest and open with his experiences and his his route to where he's got today but also big thanks to i measure you to hawking dynamics to eccentric and to black box fitness for sponsoring this episode today so make sure you press subscribe in your chosen podcast player and i will speak to you next week <laughs>